you know, this being Easter Sunday, this is just a uh, really good time to read a poem that my daughter Summer wrote back in uh, February of this year. And uh, I'd like to read it to you. Um, it's just so fitting. And uh, it's just uh, such a, a good message to it. It's entitled, What If Christ Came Down? And it goes like this. The time had come. His race was run. And only the cross was left. In the garden he prayed, let himself be betrayed, and carried the tree to the hill. After beatings and blood, he showed the world love and let them nail God's form on a cross. From down below, they cried on so, if you're God, save yourself, you're lost. They snarled and sneered, they mocked and they cheered, as the God-man wept alone. We believe you, Christ, they jeered. Give us this sign. Come down. Prove your divine. He gazed on high when with a final sigh and gave his life for all time. Instead of glory and gain by playing their game, he died a man, badly maimed. But if he'd come down, he'd have been a hero in town. Maybe they would have believed. He'd have been praised and adored, loved, not ignored, and surely received as a king. Those few would have seen God's glory revealed and the place he truly deserves. On earth he'd have reigned, men would have honored his name, and tales of his glory relayed. But Christ gave up fame, let them trash his name, for a glory he delayed. His act on the cross saved all the world's lost and tore the curtain in two. Because of him, we've been let in, for he stayed on that old rugged cross. So what if Christ came down? He did, to Bethlehem time, to save not his name, but us. Easter is always a time for the reflection for the believer. It's, it's for the time that we can look back and see those things and we can and, and put those in perspective. But for the world, Easter has become such a meaningless celebration, a time of Easter eggs from bunny rabbits. Now, where do you get an egg out of a bunny anyways? I just don't get it. I can see Easter chickens, but I don't see Easter bunnies that have eggs. And, and it's a day that many people will go to church. They buy new clothes. They have their nice family traditions, nothing wrong with traditions, nothing wrong with family traditions. It's an Easter egg hunt. It's an Easter bunny. It's time off work. It's spring break. It's the end of winter, the beginning of spring and summer. I mean, it's, it, it marks a lot of things in our life, and those are good things. But what I want to talk about today is I want to recognize the Easter celebration as really what it was intended to be. So I'm going to do something today a little different. I'm going to read scripture all service. And what I've done is I've gone through all the gospels in multiple translations and I've taken it down into one big story. And we're going to read it from the beginning to the end today. And uh, in appropriate times, we're going to stop and we're going to sing. And when we stop and sing and have a song or two, you're welcome to stand up and praise Jesus. <laughs> Stand up and worship in those times because that's what it's about. It's not just the ritual of having the Easter tradition. It is celebrating the cross, celebrating the resurrection, and celebrating eternal life.
It begins this way. When Jesus finished saying these things, he told his disciples, You know that Passover comes in two days. That's when the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. At that very moment, the party of high priests and religious leaders was meeting in the chambers of the chief priest named Caiaphas, conspiring to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. They agreed that it should not be done during Passover week. We don't want a riot on our hands, they said. When Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him as he was eating dinner and anointed him with a bottle of very expensive perfume. When the disciples saw what was happening, they were furious. That's criminal. This could have been sold for a lot and the money handed out to the poor. When Jesus realized what was going on, he intervened. Why are you giving this woman a hard time? She has just done something wonderfully significant for me. You will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives, but not me. When she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. You can be sure that whoever in the whole world the message is preached, what she has done is, ju- is going to be remembered and admired. That is when one of the twelve, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the cable of high priests and said, What will you give me if I hand him over to you? They settled on 30 pieces. He began looking for just the right moment to hand him over. On the first day of the Days of Unleavened Bread, the day they prepared the Passover sacrifice, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations so you can eat the Passover meal? He directed two of his disciples, Go into the city. A man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Ask the owner of whichever house he enters. The teacher wants to know, where is my guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will show you a spacious second-story room, swept and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples left, came to the city, and found everything just as he had told them, and prepared the Passover meal. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with them, and said, You have no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it, then said, Take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. After he said these things, Jesus became visibly upset. And then he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. But one of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. Peter motioned to him to ask who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? Jesus said, The one to whom I give this crust of bread after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. As soon as the bread was in his hand, Satan entered him. What you must do, said Jesus, do it and get it over with. 
Then Jesus told them, before the night's over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. There is a scripture that says, I'll strike the shepherd, helter-skelter, the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I, your shepherd, will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter broke in, even if everyone else falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. Don't be so sure, Simon. Stay on your toes, Jesus said. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular, that you will not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter protested, even if I had to die with you, I would never deny you. All the others said the same thing. This very night, before the rooster crows up to dawn, you will deny me three times. They came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. He pulled away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me, but please, not what I want. What do you want? At once an angel from heaven was at his side, strengthening him. He prayed on all the harder. Sweat wrung from him like drops of blood poured off his face. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He then left a second time. Again, he prayed, my father, if there is no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm ready. Do it your way. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. The words were barely, barely out of his mouth when Judas, the one from the twelve, showed up, and with him a gang from the high priests and religious leaders brandishing swords and clubs. The betrayer had worked out a sign with them. The one I kiss, that's the one, sees him. He went straight to Jesus, greeted him, How are you, Rabbi? And kissed him. Jesus said, Friend, why this charade? Then they came on him, grabbed him, and roughed him up. One of those, Jesus, one of those with Jesus pulled his sword and, taking a swing at the chief priest's servant, cut off his ear. Jesus said, Put your sword back where it belongs. All those used swords are destroyed by swords. Don't you realize that I'm able right now to call to my Father and twelve companies more if I want them, of fighting angels would be here, battle ready. But if I did that, how would the scriptures come true to what that say this is the way it has to be? Then Jesus addressed the mob, What is this coming out after me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day I had been sitting in the temple teaching, and you never so much as lifted a hand against me. You've done it this way to confirm and fulfill the prophetic writings. Then all the disciples cut and ran. They led Jesus to the chief priest, where the high priests, religious leaders, and scholars had gathered together. Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard, where he mingled with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. 
The high priest, conspiring with the Jewish council, looked high and low for evidence against Jesus by which they could sentence him to death. They found nothing. Plenty of people were willing to bring in, bring in false charges, but nothing added up, and they ended up canceling each other. Then a few of them stood up and lied. We heard him say, I'm going to tear down this temple built by hard labor and in three days build another without lifting a hand. But even they couldn't agree exactly. In the middle of this, the chief priest stood up and asked Jesus, What do you have to say to the accusation? Jesus was silent. He said nothing. The chief priest tried again, this time asking, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, Yes, I am, and you'll see it for yourself. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One, arriving on the clouds of heaven. The chief priest lost his temper. Ripping his clothes, he yelled, Did you hear that? After that, do we need witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. Are you going to stand for it? They condemned him, one and all. The sentence, death. Some of them started spitting at him. They blindfolded his eyes, then hit him, saying, Who hit you? Prophesy. The guards, punching and slapping, took him away. Arresting Jesus, they marched him off and took him into the house of the chief priest. Peter followed, but at a safe distance. In the middle of the courtyard, some people had started a fire and were sitting around it trying to keep warm. One of the serving maids sitting at the fire noticed him, then took a second look and said, This man was with him. He denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. A short time later, someone else noticed him and said, You're one of them. But Peter denied it. Man, I am not. About an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. He's got to have been with him. He's got Galilean written all over him. Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, the master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and cried bitterly. The men in charge of Jesus began poking fun at him, slapping him around. They put a blindfold on him and taunted, Who hit you that time? They were having a grand time with him. When it was morning, the religious leaders of the people and the high priests and scholars all got together and before him brought him to their high council. They said, Are you the Messiah? He answered, If I said yes, you wouldn't believe me. If I asked what you meant by your question, you wouldn't answer me. So here's what I have to say. From here on, the Son of Man takes his place at God's right hand, the place of power. They all said, So you admit you claim to be the Son of God. You're the ones who keep saying it, he said. But they had made up their minds. Why do we need any more evidence? We've all heard him as good as himself say it. In the first light of dawn, all the high priests and religious leaders met and put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. Overcome with remorse, he gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest, saying, I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. They said, what do we care? That's your problem. Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and hung himself. Then they all took Jesus to Pilate and began to bring up charges against him. They said, We found this man undermining our law and order, forbidding taxes to be paid to Caesar, setting himself up as Messiah King. Pilate asked him, Is this true that you're the king of the Jews? Those are your words, not mine, Jesus replied. 
Pilate told the high priest and the accompanying crowd, I find nothing wrong here. He seems harmless enough to me. But they were adamant. He's stirring up unrest among the people with his teaching, disturbing the peace everywhere, starting in Galilee and now all through Judea. He's a dangerous man, endangering the peace. When Pilate heard that, he asked, So he's a Galilean. Realizing that he properly came under Herod's jurisdiction, he passed the buck to Herod, who just happened to be in Jerusalem for a few days. Herod was delighted when Jesus showed up. He had wanted for a long time to see him. He'd heard so much about him. He'd hoped to see him do something spectacular. He peppered him with questions. Jesus didn't answer, not one word. But the high priests and religion scholars were right there saying their piece, strident and shrill in their accusations. Mightily offended, Herod turned on Jesus. His soldiers joined in, taunting and jeering. Then they dressed him up like an elaborate king costume and sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Always before, they had kept their distance. Then Pilate called in the high priests, rulers, and others and said, You brought this man to me as a disturber of the peace. I examined him in front of all of you and found there was nothing to your charge. And neither did Herod, for he has sent him back here with a clean bill of health. It's clear that he's done nothing wrong, let alone anything deserving death. I'm going to warn him to watch his step and let him go. At that, the crowd went wild. Kill him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had been thrown in prison for starting a riot in the city and for murder. Pilate still wanted to let Jesus go and so spoke out again. But they kept shouting back, crucify him, crucify him. He tried a third time. But for what crime? I found nothing in him deserving death. I'm going to warn him to watch his step and let him go. But they kept at it, a shouting mob, demanding that he be crucified. And finally they shouted him down. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. There was a man walking by, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made him carry Jesus' cross. The soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. And they nailed him to the cross. They divided up his clothes and threw dice to see who would get them. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They nailed him up at 9 o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, the king of the Jews, was printed on a sign. Along with him, they crucified two criminals, one to his right and the other to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. 
the high priest, along with the other religious scholars, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Messiah is he, King of Israel? Then let him climb down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. For since by faith I sky became extremely dark. The darkness lasted three hours. At three o'clock, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard him said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran off, soaked a sponge in sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down. But Jesus, with a loud cry, gave his last breath. At that moment, the temple curtain ripped right down the middle. The captain of the guard and those with him, when they saw the earthquake and everything else that was happening, were scared to death. They said, this has to be the Son of God. Oh, what love, no greater
there were also quite a few women watching from a distance, women who had followed Jesus from Galilee in order to serve him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedee brothers. There was a man by the name of Joseph, a member of the Jewish high council, a man of good heart and good character. He had not gone along with the plans and actions of the council. His hometown was a Jewish village of Arimathea. He lived in alert expectation of the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Taking him down, he wrapped him in a linen shroud and placed him in a tomb chiseled into the rock, a tomb never yet used. It was the day before Sabbath, the Sabbath just about to begin. The women who had been companions of Jesus from Galilee followed along. They saw the tomb where Jesus' body was placed. Then they went back to prepare burial spices and perfumes. They rested quietly on the Sabbath as commanded. After sundown, the high priests and the Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate. They said, Sir, we just remembered that that liar announced while he was still alive, After three days I will be raised. We've got to get to the tomb, seal it until the third day. There's a good chance his disciples will come and steal the corpse and then go around saying, He's risen from the dead. Then we'll be worse off than before, the final deceit surpassing the first. Pilate told them, You will have a guard. Go ahead and secure it the best you can. So they went out and secured the tomb, sealing the tomb and posting guards. The next day, after the Sabbath day, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and the Mary, of, uh, Mary the mother of James bought some sweet-smelling spices to put on Jesus' body. Very early on that day, the first day of the week, the women were going to the tomb. It was very early after sunrise. The women said to each other, There is a large stone covering the entrance of the tomb. Who will move the stone for us? Then the woman looked and saw that the stone was moved. The stone was very large, but it was moved away from the entrance. The women walked into the tomb and saw a young man there wearing a white robe. He was sitting on the right side of the tomb. The women were afraid. But the man said, Don't be afraid. You are looking for Jesus from Nazareth, the one who was killed on a cross. He has risen from death. He is not here. Look, here is the place they put him when he was dead. Now go and tell his followers, and be sure to tell Peter. Tell them, Jesus is going into Galilee and will be there before you come. You will see him there as he told you before.
Jesus rose from the death early on the first day of the week. He appeared, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. One time in the past, Jesus had forced seven demons out of Mary. After Mary saw Jesus, she went and told his followers. They were very sad and were crying. But Mary told them that Jesus was alive. She said that she had seen Jesus, but they did not believe her. Later, Jesus appeared to two followers while they were walking in the country. But Jesus did not look the same as before he was killed. These followers went back to the other followers and told them what happened. Again, the followers did not believe them. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 followers while they were eating. He criticized them because they had so little faith. They were stubborn and refused to believe the people who said Jesus had risen from the death. He said to them, Go everywhere in the world. Tell the good news to everyone. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but those who do not believe will be judged guilty. And the people who believe will be able to do these things as proof. They will use my name to force demons out of people. They will speak in languages they have never learned. They will lay their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus said these things to his followers, he was carried up into heaven. There Jesus sat at the right hand of God. The followers went everywhere in the world telling people the good news, and the Lord helped them. By giving them power to do miracles, the Lord proved that their message was true. not over. That's where we end the story today, but the story is just beginning. Here we are Easter Sunday, 2,000 years later, and people are still the same as well. How many people do you know that are, have doubted the risen Savior? 
How many people are just like those people that said, no, he died. We saw him die. But this morning, we know the truth. Amen? We have the truth. It's, it's evident in our hearts and our lives today. You know, yesterday we were riding back from downstate. Chris and I were coming back, and, and I made a comment to her that I wasn't sure where it came from. It just kind of came out of the blue, but I think it was for today. The comment I made was, I've had 54 Easter's. This is my 54th Easter. And you've had how many number you have. I'm not going to guess at your number. But we've all had that many Easter's. And, and the question came in my mind is, how many more am I going to have? Well, I don't know. I don't know how many more Easter's. I, I know one thing for sure. I'm not going to have 54 left. I, I'm well short of what I have left than what I've already spent. Now the question comes now, what do I do with the Easter's I have left? And, and I just wonder, have I really grasped the Easter message? I mean, I say I do. I, I mean, I've sung the songs, I've read the story. But wow, do I really grasp it? Do you really grasp it? Do you really know what it means? You know, I just think it's so worthy, worthwhile to take the time on Easter Sunday morning to put away the tradition. Nothing wrong with tradition. But sometimes tradition is bondage in itself. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the tradition that we don't understand and we don't grasp the true message, what's being said. And so this morning, we've got a few minutes left, and we're going to end early today. But I, don't, I just want to take the time to sing a few more praise and worship songs and, and just let the Easter message settle in your heart. I don't know how many Easter's I have left. This may be my last Easter. And I would be happy and sad at the same time. I would be like Paul, right? To live is gain and to die is Christ. I just know that when I get there, it's going to be all worth it. <laughs> I just know that when I see Jesus for the first time, and I see his hands, and I see his nail-scarred feet and, 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 and the piercing in his side, to know what he suffered and to know what he did for me, I know it's all going to be worth it. And I just pray that we would have that sense of, of accomplishment in all of our hearts and lives, and we would just let it settle in. So the next few minutes, we're going to sing a few more songs. If you want to come to the front and pray, the altars are open. If you need special prayer this morning, if you want to have somebody pray for you, if you have a body need, the stripes we saw are for our healing. If you need to be healed this morning, step out in faith, and let's receive healing of your soul, mind, body, or whatever it is. But let's just take the time now in the next few minutes and let's just praise Jesus and let's just thank him for what he did for us.
Jackie plays that song, um, I have to ask the question. You know, Jesus paid a huge, huge, huge price. And this morning, if you've fallen in a particular area, it's okay. He can cover that. The price that he paid was so huge, so big, so overwhelming that it doesn't make any difference how many times you might have fallen in a particular area. He can cover that. All our responsibility is is to ask him. And so this morning, if there's something in your heart that you just need to say, Lord, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I will forgive you. There should be no one leaving here this morning with a heavy heart. There should be no one leaving this morning with any question in her mind that Jesus paid your price. He paid your penalty. He, he covered your sin. Not only did he cover it, he took it away. He removed it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I would, feel, I would feel so remiss if I didn't give the chance here this morning for someone to say, I have to have my sin removed one more time. So this morning, with all, with all eyes closed, and everyone in a heart and a reverence of prayer, this is your time just to say, Jesus, I receive your gift. I receive your sacrifice. I receive it, Jesus. Lord, I tell you, I receive it. I receive your gift. I thank you for it. I worship you for it. I give you all of my life in exchange for it. Even though it's free, it costs everything that I can give you. I give you my life. I surrender, Jesus. I surrender my heart and my life to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now we're going to sing the song again. And if you've said something like that in your own heart, in your own words... Let this song have new meaning as you sing it out. And let's let Jesus just fill that void, that fill, let him fill that area in your life where maybe you needed to have that relationship restored in Jesus' name. Just as-